Well, good morning. It's great to be back with all of you. Last week, our discipleship pastor, Tommy Redding, filled in for me as me and my family went to uh, visit uh, some of our extended family on vacation last week. I appreciate Tommy uh, very much, and I appreciate really just all of our pastors on staff who are so competent and so able uh, to stand in the gap uh, whenever I'm not here, and of course, just to do all the things that the Lord has called them to do. Key the music. Um, so today, I'm going to begin a new series entitled Justified, and you can uh, kind of see the tagline under that, Righteousness for the Unrighteous. I made mention of that in my prayer earlier. That's going to be the focus of what we're going to talk about over the next three or four or five weeks as we continue to move forward in Romans, and today we're going to be in Romans chapter 3, and I'll read from that in just a moment. The series that I just finished was entitled Lost. Now, if lost is the bad news of the gospel, then justified is the great news, the good news of the gospel. Lost is the spiritual condition of those who have not yet found a relationship with Jesus. Justified, on the other hand, is the spiritual condition of those who have entered into a relationship with Jesus. And so today, we're going to consider how justification happens. I want to introduce you to a term. I want to talk to you today about sola fide. What? Some of you are thinking, I don't know Latin, so I don't really know what that means. Some of you are thinking, I've never heard that term before. This is a term that means faith alone. We're going to talk about faith today, and we're going to talk about how important faith is. This term, and many others like it, that I'll just briefly introduce you to today, comes from something that all of you have probably heard of, entitled the Protestant Reformation. It is why there are Baptists and Methodists and many other non-Catholic Christians, is because of the Protestant Reformation that was really initiated in the 16th century. Uh, the Protestant Reformation was like, a, it was like a theological revolt against a corrupt Catholic church at the time. And there have been times in the history of Christianity when, when the gospel began to be watered down. In fact, it happened, we even read about it in Scripture, it happened in the first generation of the church. Well, it happened again as man-made human religion easily works its way into the gospel and into the church. It happened in the Catholic church in the 14th, 15th, and 16th centuries. And there was some crazy teaching during this time. There was teaching such as the Pope was just as infallible as the Bible. Can you imagine that? Assigning to a human being on earth the same authority to speak as Scripture does. There was much corruption as politics and religion had blended themselves together in the church during this time. There were these financial obligations that were uh, placed upon poor people. They were actually selling religious trinkets to poor people in order to get their deceased loved ones out of a place that they defined as purgatory. Now imagine that for a minute. You purchasing a religious trinket so that your deceased loved one could spring into heaven. 
And to disagree with these things was to face execution. And one of the biggest questions during this time is what does it take for a person to be saved? How can they be justified? How can a sinner be justified? What is required? And so the Protestant reformers, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, and many others, they came up with some slogans that were like guardrails for the gospel. And they can be summarized in five basic statements that we just call the solas. So one is Scripture alone. Scripture alone by itself is our authority. And the one that we're going to talk about today, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, and to the glory of God alone. These were like guardrails. They were like, they were like, a, the, like a lenses through which you could look through any teaching of the gospel and see if it was legitimate. If there was a source outside of the Bible, you could say, okay, that's not in the Scripture. If there was something besides grace, there's anything that had to do with merit, um, all of that, that, that type of gospel would be, uh, would be thrown out. What I want to talk to you today is the importance of faith alone and how we enter into a righteous relationship with God. There's no religious works, no moral reform, no merit, no deserving, no type of payment that we make, only faith, faith alone. And our text today clearly demonstrates this as we read together in Romans chapter 3. I'll be starting in verse 21. And I invite you to stand with me as we read these verses together. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. It says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that, no, that, that, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Father, today we pray that you would show us a beautiful picture from your word of what it means to believe in you on faith. What it means to walk in faith. I pray that you would speak to your people today. Grow us in your presence. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I have to tell you, this passage, this passage is huge. I mean, this passage is full of wonder. It is full of detail. 
I'm not so sure, as I have delved into this passage, I'm not so sure if the truths contained in this passage are able to be fully grasped and explained as much as they are just to be celebrated. You know, often I will, uh, I will tell my children whenever I ask them to do something and they say, well, I don't understand. I say, well, I don't need you to understand. I just need you to be understanding. And I just, you know, need you to, to be obedient. Sometimes I feel that way about God's Word. Sometimes when I look at Scripture and I think, I, I, I don't understand. I mean, these concepts, they're, they're, they're just so wonderful. I feel like the Lord sits back and says, I, I don't need you to understand. I need you to celebrate. I need you to worship. I need you to take stock in what I have done. Even if you can't fully comprehend it, just to celebrate and to give God glory. I hope that I can accomplish both of those purposes today as we walk through this word. I'm certainly going to give you some explanation. But I hope as I, that as I do so, I hope that our hearts are led to celebrate and give glory to God for what he has done for us through faith. There are some incredible blessings that we see in this concept of being justified. Look at these big, huge, theological, doctrine, truth-filled words that I've highlighted for you in just this one passage. Righteousness, justified, grace, redemption, propitiation. These words help us to explain and to clarify and to fully grasp the true essence of the gospel. Let me just give you, let me just define some of these terms for you um, just so that we can have a, a good basis of what it means to be justified. First, there's this term righteousness. Righteousness means being in right standing with God. I mean, after all, that's that's why we come to church. That's why we read our Bibles. That's why we turn to Christ. That's why we really see our need for God is that we want to be in right standing with Him. We have this desire in all types of realms of life. I want to be in right standing with my wife. I want to be in her good graces. If I have an employer, I want to be in good standing with him. If I have, if I have friends with, or, or with the government or with uh, the, our local police force, I want to be in good standing. I don't want to get arrested. I don't want to get fired. I don't want my wife to leave me. I want to be in good standing with people and with institutions because that's what's good for me. It's the same way whenever we think about our relationship with God. We want to be in right standing with Him. And righteousness, being in right standing with God, is whenever the spiritual status of Christ is imputed to sinners, thereby making them acceptable to God. Now think about that for a minute. When you are righteous in a right standing with God, the status of Christ is imputed or is, is credited to your account. So who he is and his standing with God is given to you. Just as Christ is in an acceptable status with God, so we become that way whenever we are in Christ. The Lord begins to see us in this way. Now, I know that we still see and understand ourselves to be sinners. And, of course, God is 100% aware of the things that we struggle with. But whenever we become righteous, we are placed in good standing with Him. So when God sees us, He now sees Christ. And so we ask ourselves the question, how, how can I accomplish this? How can I enter into righteousness? 
How can I have the status of Christ, not as Him being God, but how can I have the righteousness and the standing with God that Jesus has? Well, it's very simple. God declares it to be so. It is done by a declaration of God, and we call this justification. This is the central idea of what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. This is God's action of declaring you not guilty. God's action of saying you are now okay. You will not pay the penalty for your sin. You will not spend eternity in hell. You will not be punished for all the bad deeds and sins that you have done or are doing or will doing. You are now justified. You are judicially vindicated. Now think about that for a minute. You are judicially vindicated. That righteousness is granted to us in this way, obviously plays into our theme of faith. But God changes our status. He's the one that does it. We don't do it to ourselves. Unrighteousness, is, excuse me, righteousness is given to the unrighteous on the basis of God's declaration. And it's not, and this is, this is something that I just really love about Scripture. It affirms to us that this is not a temporary change of status. It's not like you go from righteous and then, oh, you mess up, you go back to unrighteous, and then you do something good again and you go back to righteous. It's not like we fall in and out of favor with God as far as being in Christ. That's why we don't believe that you can lose your salvation. You never lose your status with God. You can lose status with the government and you can be arrested. You can lose status with the people that you love, and maybe they will walk out on you. You can lose status with your employer, and you can get fired. But when God declares you righteous, when you are justified in His sight, it is a permanent standing status that will not ever change. And so we ask ourselves, why does God do this? Why does God... Take those of us who are unrighteous and change our status and say, you're now not guilty. Why does God do this? Do this. It's very simple. He does it by grace. It's just by grace. Grace is undeserved kindness that is lavished upon sinners. Undeserved kindness. The scripture we read today says it's a, it's a gift that it's given to us free. That this change of status, going from unrighteous to righteous, when God says you're no longer in the unrighteous category, you're now in the righteous category, and we ask ourselves, well, why did you do that for me? Why did you change my status? It's a gift. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I receive a gift, I always ask why. Why did you give this? Well, it was your birthday. Or why did you, oh, well, it's Father's Day. Well, when I give a gift to someone, you know, perhaps it's for a reason. Well, you're just a blessing, and I really care about you, and uh, you've been really good to me, and I just wanted to show my appreciation. See, there's uh, really what I'm pointing to is some merit inside of you. This is not the way that God works. God genuinely changes our status just because of his kindness. Th that's it. And this is such a mystery. We ask the question, Lord, why... Did you save me? Why, why did my status change from being unrighteous to righteous? 
from being hell-bound to be heaven-bound. Why? Why did you do this for me? God's not, there's no, there's no reason other than it's just a gift freely given to us that comes from the heart of God. This is a divine mystery, one that we can't completely understand, but one that we absolutely celebrate. In fact, I would say God's graciousness and God's kindness and God's steadfast love are the things that make him absolutely glorious. We look, at, we look at who God is in his power and we think, oh, that makes him glorious. We look at God in his, his attributes of, of, of power and of knowledge and we think, oh, that, that's what makes God glorious. That's not the testimony of Scripture. You remember Moses? Moses said, I want to see you. And God said, I'm going to let my glory pass by you. And the Bible says that the Lord hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and the glory of the Lord passed by him. And then what, the, what did the Lord say? The Lord made a declaration about himself. When he showed Moses his glory, he talked about his, he said, the Lord is gracious and merciful, that he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is what makes our God glorious, is his grace, not just his power, but God saved us, not without purpose, but definitely without reason in us. God didn't say, well, okay, yeah, there's something in this person that I like, and ah, not, not him, not them, not, not that people. The, yeah, no. It's, it's, it's not like the Lord looked at something inside of us that he liked, so he saved us. And he looked inside of other people that he didn't like, and so he didn't save them. It's a mystery. It's just by grace. It's an overflow of the kindness that the Lord has lavished upon sinners. You say, well, that's very sweet. But how can God do that and still be just? How can God change our status and we don't pay for it, we don't deserve it, there's no reason for it, and he just decides that he wants to be sweet and bless us? I mean, what would you think of a worldly judge who committed a, and maybe there's a criminal before that judge that committed a heinous crime against humanity, maybe against you or against someone that you love, someone dear to you. And the judge just decided, well, I'm going to be sweet to this person and I'm going to show them kindness and I'm going to pardon them and let them off the hook. How would you feel about that judge? You wouldn't like that judge very much. If there was no, if there was no payment, if there was no justice, and this is where redemption comes in. Redemption means to be freed from bondage through Jesus' blood payment on the cross. You see, our standing before God was secured through a payment, but not a payment from us. We were spiritually bankrupt. Our justification came at a high cost. It was the blood payment from the pure, spotless Son of God. There's no such thing in God's economy with pardon without payment, forgiveness without payment. It doesn't work that way. It's just the fact that we don't pay it. Jesus paid it for us on our behalf. And this just this did something amazing. This satisfied the justice and wrath of God. We call this propitiation. 
We call this where Jesus' action of dying on the cross completely satisfied the anger and the wrath and the justice of God that we deserve. The Bible says that it was poured out upon Jesus and we are no longer under that threat. His death extinguished the furnace of God's volcanic wrath upon sinners. And like a cancer that goes into remission and is expiated from the body, so our guilt and our penalty of sin is removed. One person that I read this past week called this a double transfer. You see, our our sin is imputed to Christ And God's wrath fell upon him. But Christ's righteousness was imputed to us, so God's grace and kindness has fallen upon us. Let me say that again. Our sin was imputed to Christ, and God's wrath fell upon him. But Christ's righteousness was imputed to us, so that God's grace and kindness has fallen upon us. That's great news. That's great news. If you are in Christ, you are righteous, you are innocent, you have God's kindness, you are freed from guilt, you are released from the threat of punishment. And so some would say, I want that. How do I get that? It's very simple. Sola fide. Faith alone. We are justified by faith alone. All of the things that I just mentioned, all of these blessings of grace, all of these blessings of having our status changed, all of the things where God declares us righteous, all of it, all of it is received by faith. You don't get it by coming to church. You don't get it by trying to be a good person. You don't get it by becoming a religious intellectual. It's not granted to you by position. It is not something that is hereditary. God grants it to us by faith alone. Look at these words. All the eight times in Scripture, eight times in this particular Scripture, we see the word faith, by faith through faith, received by faith, justified by faith, the law of faith, this faith. This whole passage and all of these grand theological, doctrinal, truth-filled words that we just looked at, the five of those, all of those blessings and everything surrounding them that we could study and relish for the rest of our lives and still not comprehend, all of those things are granted to us by faith faith. The New Testament resounds with this message. 243 times the Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith, that it is faith that counts, faith apart from the works. You say, well, what is faith? Faith is complete surrender and reliance upon Christ for everything. Does that define your life? Does that define how you have approached God? Do you you have a complete surrender and reliance upon Him for everything? You see, faith is the receptor of all God's benefits. Faith is the instrument 
through which salvation is received. There is nothing that I mentioned before about righteousness or justification or propitiation or redemption or any of the forgiveness or blessings that that can be found in Christ. None of them can happen unless there is faith that resides in the believer. None of them. There is no spiritual activity in your life unless there is faith. There are no spiritual benefits that are going to come to you through Christ without faith. The Bible requires faith on our part. It is both the foundational entry point into a relationship with Jesus as well as the pinnacle characteristic required of those who are fully mature in Christ. Nothing spiritual works without faith. It is the only play, only way that we can approach God. The book of Hebrews tells us about this and really gives us a more precise definition than the one that I gave to you just a moment ago. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I love that word assurance. Do you have certainty in God? You see, that's a mark of true faith. Assurance. Certainty. This other word, conviction. Conviction is belief that is so deep that it shapes your life. Conviction and assurance and certainty is it's almost, it's, it's like you can just, you just know it in your bones. And know it even though that you can't see it. You see, it's assurance and it's conviction in things that are hoped for, things that are not seen. So when God says you are righteous, faith says, I may not can see that, I may not can feel that, but I believe it. Faith says, God says that one day I'm going to be in heaven with him. I can't see heaven. But I believe it. I take God at his word. Faith says, even though I don't believe about myself what God says, I'm going to choose to reject what I believe, and I'm going to embrace what God says. Faith says that even though I don't have scientific proof that the Lord spoke this world into being, I believe what God says. I have assurance. I have conviction. I don't have to feel it. I don't have to understand it. I don't even have to be able to properly explain it. I just know it in my bones and I believe it through faith. You know, I often pray for the manifest presence of the Lord. Do you do that? You pray, Lord, I want you to be with me. Lord, I want you to touch me. You know, some, sometimes, I, sometimes I pray that like, you know, when we're singing. I'm, Lord, I just want to feel your presence. Sometimes I say that whenever I'm about to, you know, go share my faith or go on a mission trip or um, what, whatever it might be, all the circumstances of life. Lord, be close to me, be near to me. And, you know, I, I've, I've, started, I've started to change my prayers a little bit. I've started to change my prayers a little bit, just say, Lord, just help me to believe and live like I believe. I don't have to feel it. I don't have to have some, some manifestation. 
Now, I love it when the Lord does that for me. And, and I, 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 I want to feel and know the presence of the Lord in my life. But we're called to live by faith, not by sight. We're called to live by faith, not by feeling. We're called to live by faith. We just simply believe what God says. He says it and we go do it. Doesn't matter what we think about it. Doesn't matter what we feel about it. He says it. We believe it. That's it. Sola fide. Faith alone. Nothing else will do. And nothing can be added to this. This is where we get jammed up. We are justified apart from the law. This is so important. Verses 21 and verse 27 say something incredibly important about this faith. Not faith plus anything. Faith alone. Sola fide. Faith alone. Nothing else, nothing added to it. It is apart from the law. Apart from works. Apart from anything you can possibly do to earn God's favor. Sola fide. There are some things that you should never add to, to certain things. And when it comes to the gospel, we can never, ever, ever add any kind of work that we would do in order to be justified and saved. We can never, ever add any sort of merit or deserving that we might possess as a reason for why God saved us. Now, this is difficult for us to grasp. Human beings like to work for something. I don't want you to give me something unless I deserve it or unless I work for it. That's kind of how, how, how we are. If I owe you money, you know, I'll give it to you, and now we're okay, right? Um, and uh, and, and those, those sorts of things. In the mind of the Jew, this was hard to understand because the very thing that God says will not save you was the very thing that God gave his people as a schoolmaster in the Old Testament to point them to Christ. And God tells us in his word, don't take the thing that's supposed to point you to Christ and show you your need for Christ to become a replacement for Christ. There is nothing that you can do in order to be saved except faith. Faith is it. And though God is crystal clear about this, we, have a, we, have, we naturally gravitate and drift back towards this works-based mentality. It happened in Scripture. Y'all remember these people that followed the Apostle Paul around? These people called the Judaizers? I don't have time to explain them. You may remember if you were here when I did the uh, sermon series through Galatians. These people went around and said, yes, you have to have faith in Christ, but you also have to be circumcised. Yes, yes, you have to have faith in Christ, his payment on the blood, his, on the cross, his blood, redemption. He satisfied the wrath of God. Yes, yes, yes. Jesus, yes. But you also have to be like a Jew. In other words, you have to accept Jesus and you have to accept our religion. That makes the gospel a false gospel. If anyone gives you any message that says God justifies you on any other basis except for faith, the Word of God says that is a false gospel. That it, it says that it is no gospel at all. And it pronounces a curse upon people who would preach Jesus and God's kindness and his grace and his uh, righteousness given to us on any other basis except for by grace 
through faith, nothing else, sola fide, Jesus plus nothing. Any gospel that has works in it is powerless. It's absolutely powerless to change your life. God asks us to believe. And some would say, faith? I don't have to do anything? Well, that's, that's it? Hmm. Well, that's easy. Friend, if you think that, you've never walked in faith. You've never walked in faith. Faith is saying, I have all of this, and I trust in all of this. I have family and heritage, and I have, I have a, a certain amount of, uh, of income, and I have gifts and abilities and skills, and I have knowledge. I have all this that I would be willing to give to God so that I might be saved. That is works. That will not save. Faith says, I have all of these things, and I'm going to abandon them. They are, they are not worthy of a payment. They fall woefully short of the glory of God. There's nothing that I have, nothing that I possess, nothing that I can do, nothing, no merit in me that I could possibly give to God and say, okay, now I can be saved. Faith is saying, I'm giving up on all of that. I'm laying it all down. I'm setting it all aside. And I come to the Lord in 100% complete surrender and reliance for everything. Nothing I bring, nothing I can do. Just a prayer of faith that says, Jesus, save me. Are you willing to give up those things? Are you willing? Jesus, Jesus went so far to say, unless you hate your father and mother, you're not worthy of me. He didn't say, offer your father and mother to me and give them over to me and then I'll save you. No, he, th this is a leaving behind. He, he told, often he told people in Scripture, he said, hey, leave your money behind. Just go give it to the poor. Leave it behind and then just come and follow me. One guy said, well, i got to go bury my father. He said, let the dead bury it. Leave it behind. Just come follow me. Jesus often told parables where a guy said, well, I just, I just got married. And I, I, he goes, leave it all behind and come follow me. Jesus is always, he told Peter and, and, uh, and John, he, what did they do? He said, come follow, what did they do? Did they bring their nets with you and say, Lord, we're giving our nets to you? No, they left them behind. And they followed Jesus. Are you willing to leave everything? It's not a payment. It's an abandonment. And it's a surrender that we make to the Lord. When you do that, that exhibits that you're really doing nothing. You're just giving up and you're surrendering to God and trusting Him for everything. Is that where you are today? Is that where you need to be today? Would you pray and ask the Lord to do a work in your heart today? Maybe there is something that has gotten in the way of your faith. Perhaps you're here today and you say, you know what? I've believed in God and I've gone to church all my life and I've tried to be moral. Thanks again for joining us this morning. We hope